Well, back in January of 2006, I decided to try out something new. So I took a, a 101 improv course at the I.O. Theater at uh, Clark and Belmont. Some of you are probably familiar. And uh, uh, right before all of our, like, kind of the newbies were split up into different classes with different, different teachers, uh, we were all huddled together in the, the I.O. Theater's main space, and the registrar kind of gave us a pep talk. And I don't remember a lot of what she said, but I do remember uh, something very specific that she said, and I'm paraphrasing here. She said, this is one of the best comedy schools in the world. Uh, we have high standards. It's going to be tough. You're going to get critiqued. But if you can make it here, you might be able to join the likes of Tina, Amy, and Rachel. And I don't even need to say their last names. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, Amy, Amy Poehler, yeah, Tina Fey, right. Rachel Dratch, okay, of SNL fame. The point was, hey, if you can make it here, it's going to change your life. If you can come into this space of opportunity and innovation and creativity, and you can handle the heat, then it can transform your life. Um, now, whether you've come to Chicago to become a comedian or a student or an investment banker or a doctor or a leader of a not-for-profit, um, one of the first questions that you ask is, how do I make it in this city? How do I make it in this city? And it's a, it's a very useful and practical question. We all have to ask it. From the very basic, like, how do I, how do I find an apartment and then, you know, roommates to live in the apartment? How do I find a parking spot so that I can go in the apartment? Um, how do I land a good job? How do I finish the semester? How do I connect with a friend or two? Um, how do I find a date? Okay, how do I find a wife, a husband? Uh, how do I find a good, a good art studio, a good dance studio? Um, how do I find the right faith community? How can I choose and find and angle my way into the right school for my kids, the right preschool for my kids? How do I make it in this city? It's a, it's a very practical question. We all have to ask that question. Um, but if we're not careful, if we don't graduate from that question of how do I make it in the city, it can start to warp our relationship with the city, and it can start to warp us as well. Um, it, how, do, how can I make it in the city, uh, becomes our fantasy. It becomes the thing that we, we think about when there's nothing else to think about. Um, and we've talked about many of these things in the last nine weeks you can get them on our website. We start thinking, hey, the things I've always daydreamed about, fantasized about, could come true here because there's so much opportunity, right? There's so much opportunity. So um, maybe Chicago is the place where you're like, hey, my sexual fantasies can come true. So I'll move to Lakeview where people are kind of ready for that. Um, or, or maybe my wealth fantasies can come true. I'm going to find the pockets of Chicago where I can really make some money and the, the wealth that I've always dreamed about, I'm finally going to get it. Or maybe it's, hey, my glory fantasies come true. I've always dreamed about being uh, on the other end of the positive attention from people and the, the glory and the adulation. Maybe Chicago is the place where like, that can happen. I can get paid in Chicago. I can get laid in Chicago. I can get famous in Chicago. 
okay? The precious and secret dreams that we've kind of coddled for years and years. We come to Chicago and we're like, maybe this is the place. Maybe I can make it happen in Chicago. There's a new name for city centers now. Do you know what that name is? They, they, they give it to Chicago and San Francisco and, and, uh, and, and Manhattan and D.C. Do you know what the name is? Disneyland for adults. Disneyland for grown-ups. They're seriously, this is how they're referring to city centers now. And the reason is because city centers are now organized around kind of getting some of these things, and they're now possible. And so people, grown-ups, come to the city, and they go, not just how can I make it in the city, how can I kind of get by, <laughs> um, but, but how can I make my, my fantasies come true? If we never stop asking the question, how do I make it in this city, something happens. David Brooks says it better than I could. He says this, you turn into a shrewd animal who is adept at playing games and begins to treat life as a game. You approve of yourself as long as people seem to like you. And you end up slowly turning the core piece of yourself into something less desirable than what you wanted. And you notice this humiliating gap between your actual self and your desired self. That's what happens when you begin to use the city to make your fantasies come true. So we need to move on from that question. We need to graduate from that question of how do I make it in this city? Because it's a survival-oriented question that keeps us locked in on and turned and curved in on a smaller story than we are truly made for. It can turn us from a person into a player. Haven't you met someone who's just a good player? They know how to work the system, but they don't know how to speak from their soul. They're just so good at maneuvering. They're so good at manipulating. But they cannot connect. They're living a very small story, and that is a danger for us. It can hollow us out. It can destroy us from the inside out. There's a much better question that is better suited to our imaginations, a much better question than how can I make it in this city. That question, that new question, will turn our imaginations upward to God and outward to, to a beautiful story that is playing out in Chicago right now. It's an ennobling story that we're made for. Now, to get that question, we're going to look at a book that is a spiritual encouragement to displaced urbanites. It's a spiritual encouragement to people who had lost both their city and their souls. And they needed to get both back. They needed a new city. They needed a renewed imagination in the process. It's a vision for the new city that we're going to look at. They and their parents were once part of a world-class city. They tried to make it Disneyland for themselves. And in the process, they became slaves. Metaphorically, spiritually, and then finally, politically. They became slaves. Um, and so this letter is, is, is a letter written for the healing of the imagination. It's a letter, it's a spokesperson for God who, who is speaking on the Lord's behalf. 
And, and he's going to reawaken their imaginations first so that he can reawaken a new city. Um, so let's look at Isaiah 60 and look with me at the very first word. The very first word. Arise. Arise. Like, wake up. You've been living in your own fantasy. You've been living a phantom life. And it's, up, it's, it's, it's put you in a horizontal sleeping position. You're lying down. You can't even be awake to see who you really are and what you're really called to because you're asleep. Get out of bed. Unless you wake up from reality to your true story, to your true self, you'll be held captive to a phantom story, to a phantom self, to a phantom community, to phantom enemies, to a phantom story. And it will hollow you out. Unless we wake up and arise, we'll just lie there. We'll be shadow boxing with our pain. We'll be dreaming about shadow pleasures that have no substance. Unless we wake up, we'll be drugged up on delusions of grandeur. We'll go numb with cynicism and bitterness in comparison with other people if we don't wake up. We'll be hung over on our own catastrophic vision of the future if we don't wake up. If our imaginations don't wake up, we'll be lost in a haze of false comfort. And so God, through his messenger Isaiah, is putting smelling salts under the noses of the people reading this letter. The people of God. The people who are not meant to be sleeping. The people who are meant to wake up. Smelling salts. Wake up. <laughs> wake up from that dream you're having because it's not your true story. Move out of the horizontal position. Look up because what he says next for your light has come. Now, what is your light? What is this light that, that will awaken us? It is the living God who has found you, the living God who has been looking for you. The glory of the Lord, it says, has risen upon you. And this is spiritual liberation that comes from the outside, but is nevertheless for you. It's from the outside. It's not found in here. So stop looking here. Look there, because the living God is shining upon you. It has found you. It's personally and lovingly and specifically for you, for your imaginations, for your vocation, for your life, for your flourishing, for your story. It's found you, and it's trying to arouse you. God has drawn close to men and women before this text was written. He drew close to Abraham and said, I will bless you, and I will bless the world through you. It's so hard to believe this. It really is difficult to believe that the living God exists and then that he's drawn close to me and that he wants to bless me and through me bless the world. Um, it's, it's so much easier and more comfortable and cozy to turn away from that blessing. It's a heavy blessing. It's a complicating blessing. It's a risky blessing. It messes up your life in a great way. It's a light with substance. This light is a person Jesus Christ, when we had turned from God's blessing, he brought it to us in the form of a human person who, who, who died to kill our false stories, our phantom lives, and was raised to life to bring us back into the true story. And, and then he finds us with this light. He's found us with this light. And it shines so brightly that it can expose all that doesn't belong in his coming city and scrub, scrub that from our life 
And, and then it's powerful enough to give life from, from the inside out. He can fill your imaginations with, with life. He can fill your, your actual embodied life with life. I'll never forget when Sam, my, my second born, was, was, was born. It was, it was uh, 2008. We were a week away from moving to D.C., and so before we got off of our insurance, Laura had to be induced. She was nine months pregnant. Crazy time in our life. We were at Michael Reese Hospital, and um, the maternity ward was one of the last remaining wards of the whole hospital. And, uh, and, and we could tell because people were depressed. People were apathetic. Um, the first medical professor, professional to walk into our room had, like, strong alcohol on her breath. No joke. And we languished in that room. Decay and death was, like, all over the place. And we felt it. I remember having to totally fight for Laura to get an epidural. I had to go, go out in the hallways and, and, like, do everything but take people by the lapels and say, my wife is in pain and she needs an epidural. Um, one was hastily arranged, but too late. And so it was a total mess until Dr. Shana Rubin walked into the room. Dr. Shana Rubin was Laura's OB. And Dr. Shana Rubin was not a part of that OB, but she had a, uh, a part of that wing, that maternity ward, but she had authority over it as Laura's doctor. And so as soon as she walked into the room, it was as if everybody started to organize around her and her vision for new life and her capacity and power to bring new life. Everyone started organizing around her, and if they didn't, they would be kicked out of the room because Dr. Shana Rubin had the power and the vision to bring a baby into the world. And they snapped into place. <laughs> and at 8.11 p.m., Sam Damiani was born into this world. <laughs> and, and we were even deciding on the name. She was still in the room, and we kind of had a couple options. Sam was one of the options. She was like, name him Sam. That's a strong name. <laughs> we're like, okay, Dr. Shana Rubin. We use it. Jesus brought and brings with him a vision for new life and the power and authority to bring the new life. And he calls everybody around him to join that process. He'll give you life and then he'll make you part of the life-giving process. In this new city, if you can look down to verse 18, it says, violence shall no more be heard in your land. Like on the other side of the light coming, there's not going to be any more violence. Devastation or destruction within your borders. You'll call your walls salvation and your gates praise. There's a scrubbing that happens. There's a, there's a purifying that happens to things devoted to this new city. And he's the one that does the scrubbing. And he's the one that brings the life. He's the light. It's a real person. Now what can the light do when it shines on you? Do you know what the light can do when it shines? Because it's found you, Right? Back in, it says back in verse 1 that it says, your light has come. Well, what does it mean that it's your light? Well, I'll tell you just a few things. It can deliver you from a sexual addiction. If you're totally addicted to sex, totally addicted to pornography, it can break that, it can break that addiction and it can restore your dignity in the process. Did you know that that's what the light can do? It's only one of the many things it can do. This light can bring you out of isolation and, and, and hiding from people. Maybe that's a temptation for you to be, 
because of anxiety, just kind of hide from people and just stay in your room and stay out of people really knowing you. It can bring you out of isolation and it can bring you to a place where you have life-giving relationships. This light can, can heal, let's say there's defensiveness and stonewalling in your marriage. This light can, can give you the humility to confess your sins to your spouse and find healing in your relationship. Your marriage can go from, from, from locked in and, and potentially even withering on the vine to being totally fruitful in a, in a, in a setting of grace. That's, that's one of the many things the light can do when it shines on you. It can give you real hope when you're, when you're wrestling through a loss. When you're just taking one step at a time processing a, a deep loss, it can be that guardrail that helps you get to the other side of the valley of the shadow of death, give you hope. This light can, can call you out of crippling anxiety and give you, give you the joy of worship. It, can, it could bring you here to Emmanuel on Sunday mornings and give you joy in worshiping Jesus. That's one of the things the light can do. And that's just a sampling. It's personal and specific to you and, and to God's people. Um, and uh, look at verse 2. It says, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people... But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. So it's like this light is focused. It has a laser quality to it. And um, it's specific to a people and a, to a person's, and we've got to become comfortable with this. We've got to become comfortable with the fact that God calls a specific people apart and then gives them a very unique blessing. Um, when you look at it that way, there's really good reason to move on from the question, how do I make it in this city? Because you, you, you carry and you have and you're celebrating the blessing of God, which is for you and for the world. So that kind of survival-oriented question begins to be less relevant. It begins to be re- less relevant when you have God's blessing. The other implication is this. If darkness is covering the other people and God's blessing on, is on you, like, do the math, okay? There's going to be a migration, People are going to see, not everyone, but some people are going to see there is genuine light bringing good things to this specific people. And we want to kind of come join them. <laughs> we want to be part of this light. We want the light to shine upon us as well. We want it to be personal to us as well. And so, verse 3, nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. I will bless the nations through you. Isn't that what God always said? Isn't that what Jesus always commanded? The nations, bless the nations through you. Um, and you're like, no, 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 well, I'm not a nation's person. But you are if the light of God is shining on you. This isn't just an international migration, however. This is a very personal one as well. Look at verse 4. Lift up your eyes all around and see they all gather together. They come to you. Your sons from afar, and your daughter shall be carried on your hip. So for the people of God who are living in exile, this was a promise that they would have an enduring personal legacy in the new city. They'd have sons and daughters to love and invest in, and those sons and daughters would live in the new city and carry their investment and carry their blessing beyond the death of the parents. But for us, when we wake up to God's reality, when we wake up from our fantasy, he gives us children. He gives us children. 
Sometimes they're biological children. And sometimes they're adopted children. And sometimes they're just people that we meet with open arms. But they're our children. They're our sons and our daughters. They belong to us. They're ours to love and invest in. And they'll carry our legacy. When our imaginations are awake, we can see it. Can you see it? Your children, your sons and daughters coming from afar... Maybe you will be given biological or adopted children. Maybe you will be given people just to love and embrace. But can you see those children? They might be international refugees. They might be single moms. They might be high schoolers from uptown. They might be grown adults who are drawn to your small group or your church. And they might be your own biological children that you decide to, to raise in the city. As a parent, when I'm told that sons and daughters are on their way, my word association app in my brain says, oh, joy, complications, uh, love, unmanageable. Um, like if I was starting to feel cozy in the light of God's blessing, in the light of God's light, in the warmth of it all, uh, and, and, and the sight of my children all of a sudden appears to me. <laughs> um, I'm called out of that coziness, and I'm glad I am. I really am glad I am. It's not, it's not going to be a quiet night, okay? It's not going to be just a simple little thing. It's going to be joyful and raucous and, and, and fun and, and beautiful and, and somewhat uncomfortable and awkward silences and a lot of needs. But it's party time. So we need to start preparing. Verse 5, then you shall see with the eyes of your imagination and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult. Translated literally, tremble and grow wide. When you see the nations coming, when you see the children coming, does your heart contract? Like, I don't know if you've ever had someone knock on the door and you're like, mm, I don't want to see anyone right now and no lights are on, so I'm just going to ignore the doorbell and just hope they go away and we could totally do that. We could pretend. Like, ah, oh, we're having a little cozy Anglican time in here and lighting the Advent candle and Father Aaron's going to tell some jokes and... People will go away. Meanwhile, the people on the outside are going, ah, isn't this the address for the overlap between heaven and earth? I mean, for the light, I thought it was here, but maybe not. People know how to take a hint. People aren't stupid. They know when they're not wanted. They know when we're not ready for them. And, and our hearts could totally constrict when, when the when the family expands and when people start coming to, to be, get a piece of that light. When I read verse 5 and it says, then you shall see and be radiant, you shall, <clears throat> your heart shall thrill and exalt. <clears throat> Man, I just think about going to meet them at the airport and not like in the you know, loading zone. Like, oh, just come on out with your baggage or whatever, but no, like parking and like standing right on that border 
where the mean security people are and like waiting on the other, you know what I mean? Like waiting to like craning your neck to see when your family's coming around the other side and then when they do, like giving them the hugest hug because you like belong to me. And you're like in my family and you're my sons and daughters and, and this is made to happen. I've been waiting for this. It's the end of all separations. It's the beginning of the new city. And our imaginations need to wake up to this. And so many of yours has. That encourages me so much. Um, some people in our congregation gave this a shot recently. Um, it, was the, it was the Uptown group, um, but also other groups heard about the vision and were like, we want to we help you. Um, they started planning a party for the people who live in the building really close to us. If you go in the parking lot and look up and see this big building, like it's, you can still throw a stone and, um, and it's right there. It would hit the building. Um, so they started praying a prayer, and here's one of the members of this leadership team said the prayer was like this. Lord, introduce us to our neighbors. <clears throat> Give us a way to start talking to them more. Give us a way to love them and enjoy them and invite and welcome them into church. They just all kind of started praying that prayer somewhat independently. Then they joined the prayers and... Um, so they planned a date. We're like, going to have a big party. And it's going to be right out there um, in the kind of the concrete uh, jungle where dreams are made of. Um, and um, and uh, Nick Vernarchik, he like got 18 pounds of pork shoulder and chopped it up and put it in three different crock pots and got some spices from the Old Town Spice place and uh, some, some sweet baby rays, some limes, and started making it. And... Um, and uh, and the group baked cookies, and, and, and Jill got some, some cider and some hot chocolate, and um, they got some napkins and plates, and all the mundane things that you have to do when you're planning a party. And they were like, let's, let's make it happen. Let's make an invitation. Who knows who will show up? Let's make the pork anyway. Father Aaron will eat the leftovers. Um, <clears throat> they weren't sure how it would work out. Uh, there's a lady named Sylvia who's a part of our congregation but has to work on Sundays. She lives in the building, invited a lot of the people. And, and Jill told me this. She said, um, I was nervous the day of the barbecue because I kept thinking, what if we put all this work in and nobody comes? Which is a very um, natural thought to have. She said, the thought lingered during the beginning of the event as people were slow to arrive. I decided to hand out some more flyers at the initial lull. And when I was doing so, I was surprised to find, number one, I didn't need to because by the time I returned, there were more people than I expected. And Nick says, God brought us somewhere around 50 people to share a meal and a treat, and it's in a few cases some friendly conversation and invites to come to Emmanuel on Sunday. Um, he said some were confident and came right up and got some barbecue. He said some were probably experiencing a sharper need for a hot meal than we knew. Some teens were, who approached us were a little bashfully and had quite a surprise. There are no strings attached kind of look on their faces as they feasted and ate. And I, I heard through the grapevine that Rachel Gallardo instigated some game of tag um, with some of the kids that were there that totally joined in. You know what? All, all these friends uh, were not asking the question, how do I make it in this city? You know, they're asking a totally different question, which is, how do I make the new city? Not how do I make it in the city, how do I survive the situation, but how do I start making the new city? How do I make the new city? How can I help make the new city? What things can I bring to the new city? 
This new city, which is being established right in the midst of Chicago, is the city to come. It's the Chicago, scrubbed free, of isolation and destruction and the principles of mammon and exclusion where the Lord Jesus reigns and gives life. That's the new city. And even now, Jesus is building his new city with gifts devoted in his name. You can see in verse 6 that um, the nations don't just come. They bring like a worship offering. They bring not only camels, but young camels. So you got both. Um, You got gold, frankincense, and all of it is for the praises of the Lord. Isaiah says it's for the praises of the Lord. It's not so that the people that were like the first people to get the light shined on them get wealthy. It's, for the, it's not for them, it's for the praises of the Lord. It's for worship of the Lord. So as the nations and children stream into the new city, they bring their finest offerings, like the best their culture can offer. And, um, and, and Jesus, King Jesus, honors them and loves them by receiving their offerings and purifying it and using it, uh, putting it to use in the life of his city. And this process is happening now. So I'm real confident that, that, that Jill's hot chocolate... And then Nick's barbecue recipe, and, and Rachel's game of tag, and, and whoever made the invitation, that invitation, maybe will be gold-plated <laughs> in this new city, are all going to be included with the golden frankincense and the young camels and the regular camels. <laughs> They're worthy gifts to be invited into this new city. Worthy gifts. Emmanuel has an incredible opportunity to build this new city. And I just invite you to use your imaginations to, to picture it. Maybe one year from today, sometime in the future, we'll do an Advent. We'll do four weeks of Advent, but it will be purely for, like, refugees or the trafficked and marginalized. And we'll, we'll do all the work of setting it up, and we get, to, we get to welcome them in, and it's just for them. Maybe a whole group of you you don't even know it right now. You, you're bare, you know, maybe you're just visiting for the first time, but maybe a whole group of you help plant a congregation somewhere else in Chicago. Maybe the new ministry center in, in, in Ravenswood. Picture it just filled with people who, like, they're not comfortable showing up to church on a Sunday, but they want to explore the claims and person of Jesus. And they're just in there, and they're eating food that you made, thinking about Jesus for maybe the first time, having conversations they would never otherwise have. Um, when we started as a church, uh, Ty- Tyler Thompson made this video, and maybe a lot of you have seen it. Uh, it's a video about our church. If you go to our website, and it's like, watch the video. You click on that, you see the video. So this is back in 2013, spring of 2013. Tyler had this vision for the video, and it was an exciting vision. And then when we start to like, carry the vision out and put it into our schedules and like, follow through, <laughs> it, was like, it, <coughs> it took a lot of work. And I remember when Tyler was filming, there was a p- scene when I was like going to the library and a scene when like Laura and I were getting stuff from our house. That particular Saturday, I totally had a headache and it was like tired and I, and, I, and I was kind of going through the motions and it was kind of like, well, it's scheduled and so let's do it, you know what I mean? And there wasn't a whole lot of feeling, wasn't a whole lot of life and there was a lot of scattered things like that as part of the process, a lot of footage that was made. Um, I even remember when we were under the L tracks doing that, you know, communion scene, Someone like looked at us out of the window of that alley and was like, hey, what's going on over there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> want to come to my church? <laughs> anyway, just kidding. Um, so, um, so Tyler took all this footage 
and he edited a lot of it out and brought it up into this beautiful compilation of music and text and images and and then we watched the finished product. We watched the video and we wept because we had been seeing what he had been up to all along. And our, and our humble, headache-ridden offerings were part of something beautiful. What's the question that you want to be asking for the rest of your life? Do you want to be asking the question, how do I make it? in this city? How do I survive in this city? Do I get ahead? Or do you want to ask the question that will open up your imagination to God and his reality, which is, how do I make the new city? And that's what happens when our imaginations go from a phantom place to a place of light. The time has come for us to renounce our fantasies because God's reality is so much better. So awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.